This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Lynn. And Lynn was married to an emotionally abusive Mr. Wright. It's a story of micromanagement, bullying, embarrassment, the silent treatment, and patronization. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Lynn. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest like Lynn is today, please go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And a content warning for this episode, as there's a brief mention of physical abuse toward Lynn's teenager later in this episode so a content warning for that and today you're going to hear Lynn's story and Lynn's ex was a bully and showed many signs of being a Mr. Right on the Lundy Bancroft list of abusers and Lynn lived with this emotional abuse for 25 plus years stuck in cycles stuck in this toxic environment So a big thank you to Lynn for being here with us today and for sharing your story. And now I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Lynn, the floor is now yours. I wanted to start my story with my family background. Um, I grew up in a home with both parents. Um, I'm the oldest of three daughters. And... My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked full-time. I think looking back, my dad was, he had some narcissistic traits. He was very controlling. As the oldest, I felt the most controlled, I guess. I was a very quiet child, a very shy, passive child, obedient, and very afraid of getting in trouble. Um, I was thinking today as I was thinking about recording today, um, I I thought about the fog and I thought, wow, I was raised in the fog. Um, That fear, obligation, and guilt. um, I was always in fear of my dad and he never was physically abusive. Um, He was manipulative. He would guilt you into um, doing what he wanted. Uh, my dad was of the opinion that children are to be seen, not heard. So when we went anywhere, 
we were given strict instructions about how to behave, what to do, whether we were expected to sit and be quiet, you know, speak if spoken to. Um, he was, he had to be in control. Um, he was a workaholic. He worked five days a week, you know, eight or 10 hour days, many Saturday mornings. Um, and when he came in, people that he worked with loved him. He worked hard. He did a good job. He was very well thought of. When he came home, he was very tired, very critical. He would very, he would fuss. He would want the house quiet. He would come in. He would, you know, he had his routine of eating dinner, reading the paper, and then going upstairs to do more work. So we were expected as children to be quiet much at the time when he was home. So the whole atmosphere in the house changed when dad came home. Um, and I always thought it was odd when I had friends who were excited to see their dad come home. Because when we were home with our mom, it was fine. We could play. We could do whatever. We could be loud. But when dad came home, we had to be quiet. Um, and so that, that, that it changed the atmosphere and, and the house became very tense. I don't know. I just feel like that set me up for a lot of what was to come. Um, my mom was, I don't, she was controlling in her own way, I guess, but not as much as he was. Um, she had her own different ways of doing things. She could, you know, manipulate or whatever. And as parents, I think we sometimes do that. But um, now that I'm an adult, I see that. And as I've had kids, um, but she would often, she was not confident. And then she, I felt like she would undermine us. Um, I think as an 18 year old, I was conflicted. On the one hand, I was very timid. I was very naive, um, very unsure of myself. On the other hand, I was ready to be on my own. I, I, I did have an independent streak. Um, so although I didn't have much confidence in many areas, I did know that I wanted to be independent. I saw my mother as dependent on my father, and I did not want to be like that. Um, I wanted to be independent. I did want to be, get married someday and have kids, but I knew that I wanted to work full-time, be able to take care of myself so that if anything ever happened with a relationship, whether it would be a divorce or a death or whatever, that I would always be able to take care of myself. Um, because I think I always had the feeling that my mom kind of felt trapped. I think there were times when she got very frustrated, but never felt like she could leave if she wanted to, because she didn't think she could take care of herself. Um, she had, you know, she had worked the first year of their marriage before I was born, but that was it. She had stayed home with us. Um, and my dad wanted her to stay home with us. Um, I remember she would talk to her mother every morning on the phone and her mother lived locally. We were all, we were all in close vicinity of each other. I remember telling her one time when, as a child, I said, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to work and I'm not going to have time to call you every morning. Like you call grandma. So 
just know that I will call you sometimes, but I'm not going to call you every day. So, and she would laugh and just say, okay, you know, I said, that's just not what I want to do, but I did know what I wanted. You know, I knew I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get a degree, get a full-time job, have a career, and then, you know, be married and have a family someday. Um, I did want that. So eventually you met your ex. So walk us through this. We went to the same high school, um, grew up in the same area, had many, many of the same friends. Although we didn't know each other, um, we knew of each other, but we didn't really know each other. Um, We never had any classes together or anything like that. but I knew who he was when I saw him. Same for me. Um, So when we were seniors in high school, we graduated the same year. When we were seniors in high school, um, and this is all very high school stuff, but when we were seniors, um, prom was coming up towards the end of the school year. Um, A mutual friend had told me that He wanted to ask me to prom, but he wouldn't ask me because my best friend liked him. And, you know, it was one of those tangled webs, I guess. And so um, I went to prom with somebody else. He didn't go. My best friend didn't go. Um, After we graduate, um, my best friend starts dating somebody else. So we are out uh, at a local festival one weekend, we run into him and we're talking to him and because he was kind of hanging out by himself. And so, um, so then she encourages me to talk to him because she knew that he had liked me. So we just start to talk a little bit while she's there. He was also an athlete. He was a baseball player. I was not an athlete, but they, but I always went to a lot of the games. We would go to basketball games and football games and everything. He was a baseball player. So he was playing summer ball. And so we go to see a summer baseball game and she and I go together and we devise this plan that she's, I'm like, you know, you go ahead and leave and um, I'll wait and ask him for a ride home. She says, are you sure? I said, sure. So I did. And so he gave me a ride home. And um, so I don't remember if I gave him my number or not. I don't remember how it all happened, but he took me home. And at some point he did ask me out. Um, So we started dating the June after we graduated from high school. Um, We dated for about six weeks probably into the middle or end of July. And he went on a trip for a week to Florida with his mother um, because he was going to go down to to visit a junior college. He was going to possibly play baseball at this junior college. When he came home, and I I thought he was going to go away just talking, which was fine. And um, when he came home, he said he had decided not to go. I said, why? He said, well, he said, I, he, he said, I just decided to, I think I'll stay home and go to school close by. And I said, why did you change your mind? He said, well, I just decided I just wanted to be closer to home. And that was all he said. So he was going to live at home and go to school. Well, 
a couple weeks later, we're getting ready to start college. And I was very nervous to start college. Very, very nervous. Cause I didn't know anybody there. Um, and my mother talks me into breaking up with him because she says, you'll probably meet you're you're both going to meet other people in school, you know, and you ought to be free to date whoever you want. And you're probably, he's going to probably meet somebody too. And you probably, you just ought to be free to do that. And so I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe she's right. You know? So I talked to him one night and I said, you know, maybe we should just, um, take a break for a while and just see how things go when we start school. Cause you know, well, he became very angry and he says, here, I decided to stay home for you and go to school close by so that we could still date. And now you're breaking up with me. And I said, wait, you didn't stay home for me. Yes. Yes, I did. I said, you never said that. You never told me you stayed home for me. And he said, well, I did. I stayed home with me. And what do I get? What thanks do I get? You break up with me. That's just fine. And I thought, what, what did I miss? I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't understand. So, and I didn't really want to break up, but, you know, I still liked him. And so I thought about it a little bit and I think I called him the next day and said, well, maybe, you know, maybe we can still do this. Maybe this will still work. So we talked a little bit and we decided to go ahead and continue to date. Well, of course, my parents were not thrilled with that idea. His parents were fine with it. His family was very accepting of me, um, very non-judgmental. Um, he also grew, grew up with both parents at home. He was the youngest of six kids. Um, and he he was, I think he was the golden child of his family. He was the last one and kind of the oops baby. Um, all the other kids were stair step. And I think his mom thought she was finished having children. And then suddenly she became pregnant with him. So there was five years difference between him and the the sister next to him. So they all doted on him. They all, Even his siblings, they all, you know, thought he was just the bomb. And, and I mean, he, not to say he wasn't a good guy. He did, he did have his good qualities, but he was very much the spoiled, almost like an only child. So that's how we began. We both went into college. I did um, pledge a sorority, which he was very resentful of because my parents would allow me to do things with sorority during the week when they wouldn't let they wouldn't allow me to do things with him during the week. So they still treated me as if I was like a high school student. I still had a curfew. They would not allow us to date except on the weekends. He would let me know that he did not like the fact that I was going to sorority and he felt like I wasn't studying. And, I, and my grades were not great that first semester of school, like many people when they first start college. Um, I ended up not staying in sorority, not because of him but because I felt like they were starting to control my life in a way. And I felt like, I think I felt like I had enough people controlling my life. Um, I would talk to my ex every day. We would talk on the phone every evening, um, talk about our day. He had freedom to do what he wanted, you know, and he would encourage me to think, kind of stay isolated, to study, to to 
stay at school or to stay at home. He, there was one, I think it was that first semester, he had a class. He happened to have a class with my best friend. He calls me one night. He's, he's very upset. He won't tell me what's wrong at first. I have to drag it out of him. I, you know, what's wrong? Oh, nothing, nothing. I'm fine, you know. Well, he had, so finally he says, well, I was talking to, I'll just call her V. And he says, she, we were talking and the, you came up, the subject of you came up and he said that uh, she called you a bitch. And I said, oh, we used to do that all the time. We would kid around and call each other a bitch or whatever, you know. And uh, he said, no, she wasn't kidding. She was serious. I said, why? I said, I, don't, I hadn't talked to her for a while, but we had, we were on good terms. And he said, well, she said that you were um, seeing other people at school, that you were meeting other guys and you were seeing other people. And that's why you were a bitch. And I said, I don't know why she would say that. I've not even talked to her, talked to her. And that, and I'm not seeing, I'm not meeting anybody. I'm not, so I'm not seeing anybody. You and I are together. We're exclusive. So why would I be doing that? You know, I don't know. It just, it just bothered, you know, he just, he just says, I don't know. It just bothered me. I haven't even spoken to her. And so you, why would you believe her? I don't know. It just really got to me. And it just made me wonder if you really are seeing other people. I said, no, I'm not seeing other people. And he says, well, I just, I, so he continued this conversation and just continued it as if he believed what she said, that she had really said this. But it was really confusing to me because I remember thinking, why would she say this? Because she used, she's the friend that used to like him. But so is she, so then I didn't know whether to believe him or not, because is she really doing this? Is she really trying to undermine me so she can date him? Or is he just saying this and trying to make me believe that she's doing this? I never could decide what really happened, but it drew, it drove a wedge between us. And I still to this day have never said anything to her about it. And I've wanted to. I saw her recently. And I've really wanted to ask her about it. Not that it matters now, this many years later. Um, I mean, this was 40 plus years ago. Um, but it just still bothers me because I still, I really don't believe that she did that. I think he was trying to drive a wedge so that I would not be friends with her. I don't know what the conversation really involved, if there was even a conversation. So events are transpiring here when you are very young. You're both very, very, very young. You really don't have any experience in relationships. He's not very experienced in relationships as well. So... What is running you here as far as your thought process, but also decision making and has your past and the influence of other people um, gotten into your head? So when it comes to this early on, 
what's all the whirlwind in your mind thinking? I think even though we would have these issues come up, the next time we would speak or see each other, things would usually be okay, back to normal. So it, it, he would kind of reel me back in. Um, and I was very flattered. I don't know if flattered's the word, but I would feel, it made me feel very good that he wanted to be with me. Um, even though I had dated a few other people, I had not had much experience with dating at all. I'd had no serious relationships before him. Um, so it, it, because he wanted to be with me long-term, then it made me want to be with him. Um, and I saw good qualities, some good qualities in him. Um, and I loved his family. And I saw a future. I got to know his family. Um, you know, he had many nieces and nephews. Um, and I loved kids. And so I would automatically be, a, you know, attracted to those those little ones. Um, so these things are happening. We maybe call them lower level type of things that are going on, red flagish type behaviors. Some people's value systems might have said, see you later. Yours, you weren't there yet. And you're also very, very, very young. So it's hard to even have some sort of value system. In the world in which you are living, from the state you're from or the town you're from, I won't go state from the town you're from, Getting married young, having kids young, a norm from where you are, getting your life started in that way is a norm. And you're seeing these things, you know, little cycles, I guess, are occurring. If something happens, you can very easily pass it off as something, you know, your your thought process of the future this kind of this person fitting it overrides that things go back to normal a little only for a cycle to begin but a toxic environment is being created of um not standing up for you know what you believe in and going along with things very easily fair to say yeah except accepting the love you think you deserve yeah okay yeah yeah. And I think those the cycles each year intensified a bit um, as my parents tried to hold on to control, particularly, I guess, because they saw that he they felt like he was isolating me or controlling my activities or behavior or what have you. And then he would want me to rebel against them and he would want to control the narrative there and so he would say you need to tell them this or you need to tell them this that you're just going out you know you don't need their permission to go out you're just going to go do we're going to go do this or and it was never anything extreme but it was just that you know if it was just trying to 
rebel against their rules, which I had never really rebelled against them a whole lot. So I may have rebelled at some point with or without him. But when you grow up in a with your family and your parents, you know what tactics work and what tactics don't work. And you know what you're willing to try, depending on how much confrontation you're willing to deal with. Um, I knew from past experience that confrontation with my dad was never very successful. Um, he w- always won. <laughs> and it was never pretty. And it made me feel horrible. And so even if I didn't get to do what I wanted to do, I just I just hated going through that confrontation of the the yelling match and the the guilt and the, all of that. And so he would encourage me to try to rebel against them and to say what he thought I should say. And if I didn't, or even if I did and they did they didn't give in. Um, and his narrative did not produce the results that he thought they should, then he would become very angry with me. He would yell, he would um, be very condescending, and then he would want to break up with me. Every time he would want to, he'd be ready to break up. I can think of two instances. One was when my middle sister graduated from high school and she was she was the the favorite of the three of us. And so I was expected to go to hit her graduation. And he's like, he didn't think that was right because they favored her. They let her do things they didn't let me. So he thought I should not go to her graduation. And so I didn't. And then when, you know, I, I went along with what he said. And then I paid for that at home, you know, with, my parents couldn't believe that I wouldn't go to her graduation. And then fast forward a few years to my college graduation. And there was some stipulation that he wanted that like my sister wouldn't go. I can't remember what it was now. Um, and I remember driving, he was driving the car and I was sitting there thinking, and I started to tear up and I said, you know, I'm just tired. This, I, this, I said, I can't even enjoy my college graduation because you want this to happen, but I can't make that happen. I can't control what my parents do. I can't control what my sisters do, whoever it is. I can only control what I do. And I can't even enjoy my graduation because you're wanting to insist that something happens that I can't make happen. And so then when I finally drew the line then he kind of backed off a little I think he was trying to see how far he could push me and I think when he saw that oh now she's drawing the line yeah maybe she's gonna let go and this might be over she might really break this off yeah um so with him doing this he is you know you're you're pitted between two people two sides at one control and before this event happens where you, you put your foot down, are you looking at, early on at least, his way of control as a form of uh, caring for you? Yes, that's the way he presented it. Um, yes, because he's, you know, he presented it as, 
I want what's best for us. I want what's best for you. You know, you need to be more independent. Your parents don't trust you enough or respect you enough to get to let you, to allow you to, to make your own decisions. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw that as caring. So uh, after the graduation, how does your relationship uh, progress from here? We both graduate from college. I, I don't get a job right away, a career type job. Um, I was going into the education field. And at that time, there weren't many openings. Um, I have worked retail. Um, I would often have two or three jobs. I would substitute teach during the day and work retail in the evening. I always had, you know, two or three jobs. We knew we wanted to get married. And at this point, we were engaged. We had gotten engaged about halfway through college. When we first got out of school, he didn't get a career job right away. It took him about a year. Um, So we got married in August of 1987. And in May of that year, we got an apartment. I didn't move in until after we were married. Um, That summer, those, those last several months before we got married, his behavior was very odd. I mean, we had always gone through these cycles where things would be okay for a while. Then he would get angry with me for whatever reason, whether it was something I did or something I didn't do that he thought I should do. And his knee-jerk reaction, rather than discussing something, was to become angry. He would want to break up. He would take whatever ring back. And then, then after a day or two, then he would call me back. And then we would talk. And then he would give me the ring back. And so that last summer before we got married, he acted very odd. He seemed very quiet. Um, he almost acted like he didn't want to be with me. Um, when I would question him about it, he would become very defensive. And I, and I remember saying, why are you becoming defensive when you don't need to be? I said, I was just asking you where you had been or what you were doing or, you know, if he had been out with friends or playing softball or whatever he was doing. I had no reason to not trust him at that point. So I didn't understand why he was being defensive. But apparently he thought I was um, meddling where I should, didn't need to be. I don't, I don't know. But he was still kind of standoffish and still defensive. And I just kind of took it as he had cold feet. Never could figure out why. So when he's, before that, when he is discussing or or he's, you know, threatening to leave, leave, you know, things aren't going his way. He goes in a huff and everything. Uh, What do you do? Like, are you trying to figure out what is going on? I mean, you've gone through it at this point multiple times. Do you get tired of it? And uh, I guess at this point, obviously, again, you're all, you're both still young. Um, how are you rationalizing what's happening? I don't, I, you know, I honestly don't know. I think I was just stuck in that cycle. Um, I did get tired of it in the moment. I would, I was usually surprised and confused about his reaction because his reaction was to not just become aggravated, but just to become, 
just completely angry, yelling and just, just cussing and acting like I was so stupid, you know? And I'm like, I don't, it, it was such an overreaction to everything that I just didn't understand. So in the moment I would just be upset. My feelings would be hurt. I'd be, I'd have that devastated feeling and he would go off and not talk to me. He would, you know, he was big on having a blow up, threatening to break up, doing the silent treatment for a little while. And as years went on, the silent treatment would get longer. And so after that, I think it through that silent treatment, then I would get to the point sometimes where it's like, well, whatever. So, you know, I, I used to try to get him to talk to me. And then after a while, it was just like, he'll come around, I guess, you know, I just, I just learned, I guess I learned to deal with it. And I don't know why I was willing to put up with it, but I felt like I didn't realize it was abuse. He wasn't hitting me. He wasn't, he would act like he wanted to punch a wall or throw something, but he never did. He stopped himself and he would always come back around in a day or two and things would be okay. So I just didn't, I don't know. I didn't realize that it was really abuse. You know, I could never pinpoint any misbehavior, but I could, I just, so I just kind of just stayed in that cycle. And I think I still felt like he wanted me. So I was willing to settle for that. I think what I guess I thought it was what I deserved, I I, I suppose. Um, And we thought, I thought that we would be fine. We had dated for five years. So I thought when we got married, we knew each other. We'll be fine. But then, you know, as you get to living with with someone when you haven't lived with them before, things are never quite as you think they're going to be. He always acted like he knew better about cooking or cleaning or paying bills or whatever it was with the marriage and the household. Um, and if I didn't know something or if I didn't do something the way he thought it should be done, then it was, then I would hear comments. and and. Sometimes I would, I think I would take it. Other times I was like, no, that's, no, that's just the way I like to do things this way. You know, sometimes I would stand up to him. Other times I would let things go. However, we had been married a month. They'd gotten married in August. In September, we go away for the weekend. He had a softball tournament. I would hold his wallet and things while we played, while he played ball. As we're leaving the ballpark, I give him his wallet and keys back. He stops and talks to some people. We go on out. And a bunch of us had ridden over in somebody's van together. So on the way back to the hotel, some of them wanted to stop by the liquor store. So they stop. He gets out. He's sitting on the end by the door. He gets out and goes and sits on top of the van while some of them go into the store. They come out. We get back to the hotel. No big deal. We get back, well, we get back to the hotel and he says, where's my wallet? I said, I, I gave it back to you at the ballpark. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I gave it back to him in front of his mother. <laughs> and I said, yes, because you were standing there talking to somebody. And so we go through this and he's like, no, you didn't. That's just great. I don't have my wallet. Where's my fucking wallet? I don't have it. You know, it's all this just. In front of everybody, just blowing up. You just, I can't believe this. You just didn't give me back my wallet. I think he had his keys, but not his wallet. I said, well, I don't know what happened to it because I gave it back to you. Well, just swore up and down that I did not. 
flew into a rage. We were sharing a room with another couple that we knew very well. He was so angry that he would not, he came into the room slamming his stuff down, gathered up a pillow or something, went back out to the car and he slept in the car, would not sleep in the room with us or with me, um, would not speak to me. And, you know, that's just great. You lost my wallet, you know. Well, they just, the other couple couldn't believe the way he was acting. Nobody could believe the way he was acting. Um, And I was mortified. I just thought, why would you act this way? And in front of everyone, you know, I, the way I had grown up was like, if you have a problem, you figure it out, but you don't let everybody see it, you know, especially something that was embarrassing like that. Um, I think part of it was like, he thought he liked to try to embarrass me because I think he wanted other people to have the same opinion that I wasn't as smart as he was. That's just my assumption here. So we go, we spend the rest of the day at the ballpark. We come back late Sunday night, Monday, early Monday morning. We get home. He has to go to work. I am getting ready for work the next day. And I, cause I have to go in later. I get a phone call from the owner of the liquor store. Someone had found his wallet in the parking lot and had brought it in. So I hung up and I, I called him at work and I said, guess, guess what? Guess what I just, guess, guess what just happened? You know, and I told him about the phone call and how the man had found his wallet. He said, oh, it must have fallen out of my pocket when I sat up on top of the van while we were waiting for the rest of them to go in the liquor store. I guess it must have. Wow, I'm sorry. I can't believe that. But then he would always then years later refer back to that and would say something about me losing his wallet. Um, just like he would always refer back to that story about me breaking up with him two weeks after he decided to stay home for me years. I mean, for years and years, he would bring those things up because he knew that they embarrassed me, even though he wasn't using them in the right context. He was making people think that I had done something wrong or he thought he was making people think that. Um, but that always embarrassed me. So you wrote me that he was someone that always wanted you to kind of read his mind uh, of situations. And when that wasn't done, that would kind of set him off into his, his fits. And you also wrote me that you know, if he was sick, there was a big occasion when he was sick, you're tending to him. And then when you're really sick, there's not just him not tending to you, but he is even saying, you know, why don't you get up and do these things for yourself? Like he's a real jerk about it and no housework is even getting done. Mm -hmm. So you've really painted a picture here of this person who is really wants to be right all the time. And he is someone who wants to show other people that you are not a smart person. So they will believe whatever narrative he has. Mm -hmm. And someone who 
when he does not get his way or things aren't going well, he reacts to everything as if it was this tantrum as uh, I don't know what age this tantrum would be, but very young. And his way of dealing with tantrums is to give you silent treatments. Withholding could be part of this as well. There's a little bit of rage right off the bat. And he also knows when he might have gone too far for you and when to kind of maybe apologize or, you know, realize when your foot is being put down that it's time to stop and for this quiet period to possibly go in for cycles to reboot. Mm -hmm. And this is what he's able to already know what he can and cannot do as far as control goes. And even though it might never get to uh, physical abuse or it may not get even more extreme than you know what a lot of our stories are you're still living in this cycle of abuse and these cycles are continuously going on where it is just enough for you to almost say i'm leaving and then he takes his foot off of you to let you breathe and you get to breathe a little bit while longer and these are just a few of the stories in in year one and what happened before that, before you got married, but you're one of the marriage and you were married for how long? Almost 28 years. Almost 28 years of living within this exact same cycle. Mm-hmm. So from here you end up having two kids, first a girl and then a boy. And your ex thinks that he's right about everything when it comes to parenting and that everything you do is wrong. He reprimands you in front of your kids, making it look like you are less than him and it makes you feel that way too. He then begins to micromanage the kids. He's right about everything with them as well. And this just goes on and on and on. And you're living in this toxic environment, the cycles And then one day, a new wrinkle gets added to the regular everyday bullying. So walk us through this. We'd been married about 15 years, I guess. He was working late one night. And I put the kids to bed and was doing some some things around the house. And I decided to open the mail. And uh, one of the credit card bills had come. So I opened it just to see what what we had going on. Because he he always paid the bills, but um, just by chance, I had opened it this night and looked at it and noticed that there was a charge. And it had part of the name of the place, not the whole thing, but it was enough that I could figure out where it was. And it was a local strip club. And there was a like $3,000 charge. And I thought, what in the world is this? And is it what I really think it is? So I go upstairs to our computer and companies were just starting to develop websites where you could go online and find information. So I go online and set up an account and I uh, I get the 
statement online and I print off copy. And I'm looking it up. And then I realized that this big charge happened on a day that he had had to come home um, on a day I was off from work and he had had to help with something at home. He had fussed about it and complained and he said, I can't believe you did this. I have to come home and fix this. It was fixing up a clogged sink. It's like, I have to come home and fix this, take time out of my day and I've got better things to do. So, okay. His mother was there when he had done this and he wasn't having to leave an office. He was doing outside sales. So he was out driving, you know, visiting customers. But his mother heard him say this. I've got better things to do. I don't, I can't believe you would do this. So, you know, then fast forward a month when I'm seeing this credit card bill and I realized that this charge was from that same day. And so when he comes home late that night from work, I show it to him. I said, I opened this. And I was just looking to see what our balance was. And I saw this there. I said, do you know what this is? He was like a deer in the headlights. He, I've never heard him stumble over his words like he did that night because um, he knew he had been caught. And he said, I don't know what that is. I'll have to check. I'll have to check into that. I said, okay. I was just curious because I'd never seen it before. I knew exactly what it was, but I was playing dumb. So I just was very angry, very, very angry. So I was standoffish. So I was the one not speaking to him at this point. And so by the next night, we put the kids to bed and he, I was cleaning up after giving the kids a bath. And he came in and said, I need to talk to you when you're finished up here. And I said, yeah, you're damn straight. We need to talk. And so we went downstairs and he confessed and I said, I knew exactly what the charge was because the place was close to where I had worked. And so I knew I passed this place every day. I knew what it was. And I said, what in the world did you spend all that money on? I said, did you have a favorite girl? Were you buying a lap dance for everybody in the place? What in the world? No, no, I just, you know, he had some explanation. He was just, and he was in tears. And he was just so, he was, he said he was sick. He just had a problem. He was really sick. And I said, yeah, you're sick. All right. You've got, you need something. Part of it was that he would always complain about me spending money at the, whatever, a few extra hundred dollars here or there. Wasn't anything we couldn't afford. Then he has a $3,000 charge of his own. So he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, being very hypocritical on the money issue. I've really came close to ending things right then. Looking back now, I wish I had. I think I didn't have the strength yet to do life on my own, be a single mom. Um, my sister had just left her husband and was a single mom. And I just, and I wasn't ready to give up. So I said, all right, well, you need to get some counseling. I'll go if I need to, but you you need to get some counseling. So he contacts uh, Sexaholics Anonymous. He starts counseling. Um, we both start some counseling. We do it separately. We didn't do any of it together, which I thought would have been helpful, but we went separately. I didn't feel like I got much out of that counseling 
because I wanted to talk about the problem at hand. The counselor wanted to talk about me and my childhood. I didn't see how that was relevant. It may have been, but at the time, I just didn't see it. So he had a sponsor at first, but then after talking to a sponsor a few times, he decided that he didn't really need a sponsor. That was for people that really had big problems with it. He could control it, he said. And my other question was, when had he done this? Because he had been home every evening. He had been, you know, he hadn't missed events that he was supposed to be at. Um, so I said, when are you doing this? And he said, well, it had started when he had supposedly taken a customer out to lunch and the customer suggested that they go to one of the, to a, to a club. Um, and then he would go on Saturday afternoons when he was supposed to be out running errands. Um, he, that's when he would go. So we get through that. Um, you know, he seems remorseful. Things get better for a while. So then fast forward a little bit, he joins this group to lose weight. And then I, he starts going to this workout class. And then I, later I start going too. well, one of the instructors really flirts back and forth with him. And one of the days she's there really flirting. She's on, she's an instructor on the stage with a headset on and she's flirting with him and she doesn't realize I'm there until somebody calls her attention to it. So again, all of those things always would make me suspicious. Even though I could never catch him doing something, I felt like I wasn't justified in leaving unless I could catch him doing something wrong and prove it because he loved to argue. He always wanted proof of things. And I just felt like being unhappy wasn't enough of a, a good enough reason to leave. So probably by the time our kids were in high school, they were both athletes. They were both swimmers. And he was very, very competitive. And it drove him crazy that neither they were competitive to a point, but not to the extent that he was. Um, so he was overly involved. They had tried other sports when they were younger, and they had both ended up being good swimmers. Um, but he would talk to them to the point of being obnoxious and obsessive about it. He would not talk to them about anything else. He would micromanage about their grades, about their swimming. And it was always kind of criticizing or degrading. It was never, you did a great job. It was always, you did, you did a good job, but kind of like saying, I'm sorry you feel that way, but, you know, and so he would always, he was always micromanaging, never trusted them to make good decisions, even though they never gave him any reason not to, which made us argue a lot because he would repeat things and repeat things and repeat things because um, he had to be right. Um, he wanted them to act a certain way. You know, we had some of, we had mostly the same philosophy about raising kids, but his fuse was a lot shorter than mine. Um, and so again, that anger or those explosions or fits that he would have with me, he would also have with the kids. Um, and I stood up for them some, probably didn't stand up for them as much as I should have. Um, 
I found a little notebook in my daughter's room one time when she was in high school. And I think I was making her clean her room and we were not agreeing on something. I picked up a notebook and just happened to open it. And she had written to herself inside, uh, dad's a bully and mom has no backbone. And I thought, whoa, she's exactly right. It made me mad and it hurt my feelings, but I knew she was exactly right. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to do the best I can to try to fix this or take up for them or something. Um, We get to the point where our daughter's out of high school. She's swimming in college. She's back. She was swimming in college. She's quit. She's back home. She's needing, we're needing her to move out. And she, they, he has a knockdown drag out with her and she says something wrong to him. And he um, like pins her up against the cabinet, kitchen cabinet. And she says, uh, I think he's wanting to hit her, but he knows he shouldn't. And she says, go ahead. And he, I don't know what his response was, but she said, who do you think they're going to believe? You think that if you call the police, they're really going to believe you because she said she was already working part time um, as an EMT and she knew some officers and some various people and in law enforcement. And she said they're going to believe person they know and they're going to, you know, they're going to believe me. And she talked enough that it made him back down. Um, And then that's when she moved out. And we had and I hated that. She had to move out under those circumstances. Um, um, He did the same thing to our son later on. They and it was often when they would try to take up for me if he and I were arguing, and our son tried to take up for me because they didn't. He didn't like the way that his dad was talking to me, and he said something to him. And he said, "You talk to your mom the same way, and I just it's just not right. You shouldn't be talking to her like that. That's you're talking like she's an idiot." Well, when he said he was talking to his mom, he, the way, you know, he accused his dad of talking to his grandmother the same way. And so that just set him off. Don't talk about my mother that way. And he pinned him up against the, he had him up against the, the cabinet by his throat. And I thought I was going to have to call the police. And he stopped. And, but my son was saying, go ahead, go ahead, hit me. You know, he was wanting, he was trying to egg him on, but he, he didn't. That was as far as he would go because he knew but it wasn't going to end well if he carried through with that. So you told me that you and your daughter discussed her upbringing recently and not everything that was said was pretty. You heard the thing about, you know, you or her feeling that you didn't have a backbone. So how was it hearing these things from her point of view? I hated hearing that. Um, I don't, that's my one regret about staying is I feel like it caused them more painful interactions, um, with him because I, and I couldn't protect her from it. You know, I couldn't change it. And and she's an adult now, and she has her own child, but she's really trying to change that generational cycle because she has a lot of him in her personality. 
And she knows that, but at the same time, she can't change it. She can change it to a point, but when she gets in the heat of the moment, it's very hard for her to control herself. Um, so, yeah, that was, I, I hated, I, I did not like hearing that. It doesn't make me feel good. I've had, I've had conversations with my kids over the past few years. I didn't say anything about their dad for a long time. And I've had conversations with them more recently in the past year or two. And my daughter said to me not long ago, said, she said, I wish you had left when we were younger. I said, really, why? She said, because it would have given us a reprieve, at least. When we were with you, we would have had a reprieve from him. She said, you know, when we were with him, we would have had to deal with it. But at least we would have been able to come home and get away from it. I said, I had never thought about that. You know, that was her perception. I said, well, from my perception, I was not ready to give up. And I wasn't ready to try to raise you guys by myself, you know, and to to make a break at that point. And, you know, and she as an adult understands, but as a teenager, she was, I'm sure, just very resentful because they could see the hypocrisy. They would say to me when they were younger, why is dad such a hypocrite? He would say to them after a big blow up, I'm sorry, guys, I've got, I've really got a problem. I really will get help for my anger, but he never would. And so they could see that. And he thought that they couldn't. And they would ask me, and I said, I, I don't know. I said, I can't control what he does. I can only control what I do. And, you know, that's the best I can do. Um, so what was the catalyst for you eventually finally leaving him? Well, it had been coming on for probably, uh, probably five years. Um, he became, he had always been very flirty with other women and he would do it in front of me. So I felt like if he did it in front of me, what he was probably doing more when I wasn't around. There was one swim mom in particular that he was always very flirty with and she was very flirty with him. And he would try to um, embarrass me or be condescending to me in front of her. Um, and so over, like I said, over a few years, there were events that happened. Um, there was one in which we were at a swim meet for our kids and this swim mom had had a birthday recently and she was showing another, another mom, a picture of a gift she had gotten. And she said, look what, look what X got me. She said, my ex's name. She said, look what he got me for my birthday. And I thought, what? And so I was standing right there and I said, what did he get you? And so she ignored me at first. I had asked two or three times and she finally turned it around and showed me this picture of this gift that she had gotten, this decorative plate. And uh, so she didn't say any more about it. And I think she, when she was telling the, her friend about it, she did, she'd forgotten I was standing there. So my ex was not there at the time. He was there later, came later. And I was very quiet because I didn't know what, to say or how to handle it. And I didn't want to cause a scene. It wasn't the time or place. So I said something to him later. And of course he denied it. And he said, what are you, you must've heard her wrong. You know? And I said, no, I heard her exactly right. 
she that she said that you had gotten her this gift. He completely continued to deny it. Got angry that I was angry. Insisted that I call her to ask her about it. Well, you're just crazy. You're just that you just you did not hear that. You just need to call her and apologize that you even accused her of doing that. She doesn't even know that I did that. I did. You know, I, I said this. But I did call her and I asked her about it. Well, of course, she denied it, too. I mean, what's somebody going to say, you know? And then she says, um, she says, you know how, how fast I talk sometimes. I just must have accidentally said the wrong thing or something. So they're all gaslighting me, you know. Well, you can call the friend and ask her, you know. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing all that. No, this is silly. I know what I heard. And so, and, and the same friend, we had gone on trips, adult trips to Vegas for several years with this swim mom and her husband and several other couples. So one year um, when we were there, we were sitting out by the pool and, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's pretty crowded. We're just people talking to each other and stuff. So we meet this, this group of women that had been going down, they would go down every year for a girl's trip and they'd gone to college together. They'd been college roommates. So he gets to talking to him. We all get to talking to him actually. And one of them was a, another, she, her kids swam as well. She was from a city that wasn't very far away from where we lived. They kind of hit it off. And so he's talking to her for a little while. So then we go back. The next day, I believe, we had rented a, a big cabana together. He invites them to come over and swim with us and stuff. Well, everybody's having a good bit to drink, you know. And so he's uh, sitting over there talking to her and laughing and flirting with her. And we go back home. And in the meantime, I start, I start the process, you know, I start checking his phone and I start checking the phone bill. And, and um, so I start seeing, and I start checking everything, like, Facebook Messenger, and I see where he's messaging this lady on Messenger a lot. And the next year when we're scheduling our trip, he sends her a message and he says, you know, hey, you better book your airline tickets because the prices are going to be going up. And if you're going to be there the same week and making sure it's all coordinated. And so I thought, okay. And, and in the meantime, I had been seeing where he was making he was texting a lot with this one swim mom too. Can't prove that anything ever went on, but they were doing a lot of texting with each other on certain dates. Um, of course, when I confronted him about that, he said they were just talking about swim meets and hotel, you know, when we were all making hotel reservations and stuff. Well, of course, that was an easy way to try to play it off, but you know. So when we go on this last trip, I knew ahead of time, I said, this is going to be make or break. This is going to make us or break us. We had one child out of the house. We had one second child in college. We were on the brink of being empty nesters. I knew that was either going to make us or break us. So I don't say anything. I'm just kind of looking at things and watching things. Months later, we go on this trip. Uh, sure enough, these ladies are there. We talk to them, you know, the first day and it's all good. We go up, to, I go up to get ready for dinner that night and he stays down with one of our friends to settle up the tab from the cabana. So he doesn't, so I'm texting him because it's getting close to our time where we're going to be going to dinner. And I said, you know, are you coming up? You need to come up. Well, he finally comes up a half an hour before we're supposed to go. And he says, um, I said, I've been texting you. Where have you been? And he said, well, it wouldn't have done any good. He said, um, he said, he said, I dropped my phone, my phone fell in the pool. So how did that, how did that happen? 
well, I was sitting there and it was in a towel and I went to pick the towel up and it fell in the pool. Okay, well, okay. Well, the next day we go down, we go down to the pool and I'm talking to one of those ladies and she says, oh, did he tell you about how he jumped in the pool with his phone in his, or jumped in the pool with his phone in his pocket? Said no. And uh, so he's over there just like not wanting them to tell me. Now, I don't know if this lady told me this meaning or on purpose or accidentally, but she um, proceeds to tell me how he had gone over to have a couple of drinks with them before he came upstairs and that uh, he went to jump in the pool with them and he had his phone in his pocket and had forgotten. And so then he disappears upstairs in the room. And so I go up to find him. And he says, oh, my stomach's been bothering me. And I said, well, it should be. I said, why would you lie to me about your phone? I said, you went and had drinks or shots with them or whatever. I said, and you, your phone was in your pocket. I said, why would you lie to me about your phone? Because I knew this would happen. I knew that you would react like this. I knew you would be angry. You know, I knew you would overreact. I said, well, again, you're lying when you don't need to be. If you're lying, then what else were you doing? You must have been doing something else if you were lying. He says, well. Well, if if you're this mad, then maybe we just need to go our separate ways when we get home. I said, yep, you're damn straight. We need to go our separate ways when we get home. And I just walked out the door and I didn't speak to him the rest of the trip. And this was at the beginning of a like four day trip. And I didn't speak to him the rest of the time. And when we got home, because we had gone to counseling several more times over the years, nothing changed. He lied to the counselor. Um, so when we got home, he said, and he says, we need to talk. And I said, I'm, I'm done. He said, don't you want to go to counseling? Don't you want to fix this? I said, there's nothing to fix. So we've been to counseling many times. Nothing changes. You act like it's going to change. You say it's going to change, but nothing happens. There's no actions that follow the words. Um, I said, I'm done. Well, what about this house? We're just going to lose this house. I said, I don't care. That's fine. Well, what about this? Well, what about he started trying to think of every reason he possibly could, you know, well, we're going to lose this. We're going to lose this. We're going to, I don't, I don't care. I said, I don't, I'll go live in an apartment. I'll go live with, I don't care. And I had no tears left. I had grieved along the way. I had no, I was done, you know. And so he insisted he was going to keep the house and he was going to do this. And I said, that's fine. I don't care. So that next night I moved in with my sister and stayed with her for a few months. And then he finally, like a few days later, he conceded and said, well, you know, I'll let you have the house. Oh, thanks. I'll let you have the house. You know, he always acted like it was his money, his house, his this, when I was contributing as at least half or more. Um, And he said, because I'm sure that our son would rather live with you than with me. That's fine. That's his choice. You know, when he's home from school, um, that's his choice. And so he was just, he tried a few more times. Our daughter graduated from uh, a two-year program a few weeks later, and he wanted to ride up. Did, he asked me if I wanted to ride up to her graduation with him. I said, no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll drive up. And he's like, wow, you really don't want to be with me, do you? Like, no, I don't want to be trapped in a car with you for two hours. No, I'm sorry. And so he really... So then he got angry and then he said, well, you, you must have somebody else on the line. There's no way you could, you'd be leaving me if there wasn't somebody else on the line. I said, no, I don't, I have no desire to have anybody else 
So that was a big hit to his ego. So believe it or not, he was very agreeable. And this was where I was glad we had, we didn't have young kids anymore because we did not have to argue about custody and child support and things like that. Um, so he did not put up a big fuss about the divorce. Um, it went very smoothly. Um, it did take a little bit to get him to move out. You know, he was, he, he went along with things and was agreeable in the end, um, which was very surprising to me. And how has the aftermath of everything been? In the beginning, um, that first summer, every time I would see him or talk to him, I would have a nightmare that night with him in it. And my sister that I was staying with tried to be very empathetic to him, you know, trying to think of reasons why he would do things. And I said, no, you don't understand. This is not, this is how it's going to, you know, that's not what happened. So at first it was very hard. It was very, I would be sick to my stomach. I would have, like I said, I would have nightmares. Um, the only time I cried is when I told my kids, mainly because I knew it was going to change their lives, even though they were pretty much adults. Um, once we got past that initial stage, I've had very low contact with him. Um, luckily, I've been able to have very little contact. The hard part for me has been knowing that my kids have to deal with him without having me be the buffer. They were used to me being the buffer. And so now they've had to deal with him and they um, have to know when to draw the line. Um, my daughter butts heads and she'll go for times where she doesn't speak to him because he does not respect her boundaries. Um, my son will just um, go for a long time without talking to him and then he'll make contact and go out to dinner with him and then he'll then he'll let it sit for a while. So he's not real involved in their lives. Um, he kind of does his own thing, um, which is really kind of sad because um, he's missing out on a lot with them. But they don't have much desire because he's, he's he doesn't really know how to have a conversation with them without trying to micromanage their lives and tell them what they should be doing. Um, and how's your healing process? You know, I feel like I'm just now doing it. I'm, I'm almost six years out. Yeah, almost six years out away from my divorce. And um, those first few years, I was just, it was just felt good to be free to not have to worry about what he was going to say or do. Um, to have fun and do what I wanted to do, to not worry about being, you know, talked down to and just have that verbal abuse going on all the time. But I think now, since for about the past year and a half, when I started listening to a few podcasts, and my, my story is by far not the most severe at all. You know, I was very fortunate not to have any physical abuse or, um, anything worse than I've had. But even as I listen to some of, as, of any of the stories, even the worst ones, there have been things that people have said that made me think, you know, like, oh gosh, yep, I, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. I had that happen, um, you know. And so that's caused me to do some research, 
to think about my childhood, to think about why I, like I said, why I stayed as long as I did, what made me attracted to that type of person. So I feel like I'm still kind of going through that healing process now. Yeah, I think my healing's still going on. And now my my, my biggest worry is my as my adult kids as they deal with the aftermath and dealing with their father. So And if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would they be? Everybody says trust your gut, trust your gut, trust your gut. But I think that's true with everything anything, not just not just um, spouses or significant others, but um, I think to be true to yourself and to know that when somebody's mistreating you or if you feel like it's wrong, then it's wrong. It doesn't feel good, you know, then you shouldn't have to settle for that. Um, And it's hard to walk away from people sometimes because sometimes things are good and then they're not. But if the bad outweighs the good, then you have to be strong enough to let it go and to confide in people. I never confided in anybody. I never told anybody anything until after the fact. And then when I talked to people after the fact, they could see it. They knew, you know, but they didn't want to overstep. So I think, you know, see if you can find somebody to confide in, even if it's a stranger or a counselor or somebody. Well, Lynn, I want to thank you for being here with me today. And we've gone through this process for a very long time. Yes, we have. You really wanted to tell your story. And, you know, we've been having a lot of episodes lately where it's a lot of just physical abuse stories. And having one on where there's no physical abuse is just as important as all of the other ones. And I really you know, wanted to do this with you and make sure that we uh, did it right. And uh, you went through this whole process with me and I probably annoyed you (laughs) while doing so while we were gotten to the knee deep of everything Um, and my forgetfulness and my notes back and, and all that. So just first, thank you for putting up with me. And then thank you for doing this for everyone else and sharing your story. And people are going to be validated by your experience. So it's important for them to hear these stories as well. And I just really want to thank you so much for uh, being here with us today. Well, thanks for having me. I hope it helps somebody somewhere along the way. Well, I know it will. So thank you so much for being here with us, Lynn. And if you want to be a guest like Lynn was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There, you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And also at our website, if you need support, we have our very own support group. So at the top of the page of NarcissistApocalypse.com, there's a support group button. When you click on that, it takes you to our very own safe social network. Inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. And we also have forum boards for you to post on to get validation from survivors just like you. And you can also validate survivors just like you as well on their posts that they make. So if you want to get some support, join our support group today. 
And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and website address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small your town is. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource. And that is it for today's show. So for myself and Lynn, we hope you have a good night.